0: hey this is april 10th 2017 and this is the supreme leap forward and i am here with kevin hey and i'm here with hunter howdy you know i i don't have a uh, I don't have a good opening joke for this time i didn't all i can think about <laughs> is just how fucking miserable everything is uh um, i'm also like three minutes old deep so it's gonna happen don't <laughs>
1: make it all the best
0: those, those, that's the only drug i take supreme court justice Oh uh, yeah that's a thing that happened old uh old go- Wait, boy. merrick garland yeah merrick garland noted leninist merrick garland is on the supreme court no uh <laughs> we we got Gorshi boy we got we got old Gork gorsh suck. he's uh he's gonna be on on the court now and uh and so that's fun So uh, uh, today, guys, we're going to be discussing a couple things. Uh, Our main topic for this session is going to be the the big case that just happened out of the Seventh Circuit, and that's uh, Hively versus Ivy Tech uh, Community College of Indiana. We're going to talk about that, but first, uh, there's a couple things we need to discuss. One, of course, the the confirmation of Neil Gorsuch, and, and less about talking about Gorsuch in particular because I'm fucking exhausted of it. Uh, but more about what, what's happened uh, in terms of, uh, of Senate rules, uh, the killing of the filibuster, and all that. But but first, I, g- I guess we got to talk about Syria, right? I don't really have um, an international law analysis to give you. Obviously, I think this constitutes uh, what's, what's referred to as armed conflict, and that's important for the purposes of international law, uh, because once once armed conflict uh, is engaged, uh, then it triggers. Uh, a different uh, level of of, uh, of international law. So there's uh, international humanitarian law, international human rights law, and fuck, I can't remember which one is triggered as a result of armed conflict, but it changes the analysis. And so, well, go ahead.
2: I it's kind of um, just initially. I mean, it it's kind of amazing that um, Russia hasn't really reacted in the way that I expected they would. They've, other than trading some, you know, words at the UN and protesting, uh, it didn't immediately escalate into nuclear war. Well, that's which uh, is good. The PSYOP. Yeah, because apparently uh, uh, it was actually Putin's plan. Putin told Trump to uh, send the cruise missiles to destroy, uh, I guess, Russian.
0: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Yeah, they're in on the fix, so I, you know, they, they gave the reaction I thought they would. But so uh, what's interesting about the armed conflict analysis is uh, if you've been following uh, nut jobs like Louise Minch on Twitter, uh, you've noticed how um, totally unhinged and upset she was over the fact that we didn't also try to hit Russian soldiers. And I'm like, yeah, uh, is triggering armed conflict with Russia. That sounds like a great idea. So, uh, yeah, trying to follow the logic on Twitter uh, for over these like this this sort of collective psychosis over Trump being a potential Manchurian candidate. Uh, it, it's It's really difficult to follow. All I can tell so far is they're really upset we didn't kill a bunch of them. And so uh, but
2: also that they're upset that we didn't kill a bunch of them, but also that uh, I guess if we if we launch uh, tomahawk cruise missiles um, because Trump feels weak, uh, then it was actually it's still probably still playing in the Russians' hands, and that's why yeah, that's why uh, they haven't you know called like a special you know Security Council meeting or anything like that.
0: Yeah. How many people did we kill? Because the only it was like eight, was... eight
1: or what or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, we yeah, killed. So I, we... I, I read. Uh, it was uh, three soldiers and four kids.
0: The, well, so so what I read, uh, and I guess this was from uh, S- Syrian uh, news agencies, but what I had read and I think posted. Uh, never stopped posting is uh, nine, nine civilians, uh, four of which were children, but I didn't read how many, what would be designated as enemy combatants were actually, were actually killed. Obviously the plot of land, the airstrip that he was trying to hit, we didn't do any damage to at all. And they were still using yeah. the next right day. back up
1: and running like the next day. Yeah.
0: So that was effective. Uh, we just
2: hit the human
1: shields, looks like.
0: Exactly the, the children's shields that uh, that we were totally not aiming for. But uh, and
1: yeah, spend how many fucking millions of dollars in like munitions alone, uh, just to make Trump feel like he has a dick.
2: So yeah, each Tomah missile is like five million dollars or some shit like that.
0: Well, I read it was actually. So what I had what I had started reading because I dug into it because I was like how many people could get healthcare for our one day excursion, you know, missile excursion into Syria? How many people could, you know, wipe out their student debt. And, and it was something like just not even counting the, uh, the manpower that we had to pay for, uh, in that, in that excursion, it was something like $89 million just to, just to launch the missile, just to procure for weapons procurement and for the purpose of like sending them there, like the, the raw materials it takes to do that not talking about you know how many people yep. we had to employ just for the all program. the
2: infrastructure to make that possible where you can just send 50 tomahawk cruise missiles when you feel like it
0: Exactly like yep. if we didn't have a military who had the capability of sending 50 tomahawk cruise missiles to fucking nowhere then we could all have healthcare and we wouldn't be in this fucking position but uh, you know, I, I wanted to be able to kind of just juxtapose that a little more, uh, uh, coherently. Uh, and I of course wasn't able to because our entire economy is sort of intertwined in the military industrial complex and there's not really a way yeah. to like sever, uh, this one excursion and, and then juxtapose that against like, you know, how much does it cost to give Texas healthcare or, you know, w- so anyway, it, it, it's just sort of interesting. Um, I, I, I think kind of as it develops and as uh, the UN investigates whether or not Assad actually did, uh, gas his own people, which I mean, he probably did. He is a rat bastard. Uh, yeah. But
1: yeah. Total piece of shit. But, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, whatever, whether he did or did or not, you know, I, you don't have to defend Assad to question the validity of the evidence that, you know, Trump's putting forward. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I've, I've heard, I don't know, I've heard some, like the British, a former British uh, ambassador to Syria, went on BBC and was saying that he feels that it was uh, it was more it, it wasn't uh, like a tactically productive move for Assad to gas his own people. So in his mind, it makes more sense that uh, it was likely an accident. He accidentally hit a, a store of chemical weapons. Right. Um. Uh, yeah, but, but like, but, uh, but, like I know, mean, these these like. These shitty
2: dictators that do stupid he, shit
1: all the time. Well, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. But, but like, right. But this, but you know, his argument wasn't in defense of Assad being a good guy. It was just like I, you know, the evidence that they're putting forward doesn't make sense to me.
0: Right, and, and Corbyn kind of said the same thing, right? I mean, Corbyn, his statement on the thing was like, we need to let the UN do its job. Like, right.
1: It's, yeah, and he also
2: he also said that he thinks that Israel should be uh, wiped into the sea. I, I think.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! No, I actually shouldn't say that, but but yeah, um, Corbin said that uh, that he kind of felt like uh, sending cruise missiles over to Syria, w- not only was was just a, a dumb move tactically for the United States, but th- that it actually inhibited the UN investigation of what's actually going on. It made it harder for you for the UN to uh, to to make a thorough investigation now that right. now that there's like more um, assertive armed conflict and 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 we should be clear armed conflict between the US and Syria had been going on for a long time obviously it was going on under Obama you know for oh yeah it's what? been a
2: proxy war for yeah, yeah for years most, and years
0: most of his second term so i mean yeah. I, I mean he he's been bombing the shadow of him forever so so you know no uh, no no quarter for him either but but the the main difference between Uh, trump and obama on this issue is is dick waving well dick waving (laughs) there's certainly that but but it's also what's the stated goal here and is trump hasn't come out and said it necessarily but but sources within the white house are saying that the stated goal internally is regime change right and so that's that's a marked departure from at least what obama was 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 telling us in public Obama was never advocating for regime change, uh, was never advocating for for boots on the ground. He loved his drones. Right.
2: Yeah. He loved. Well, he let Assad cross the red line. So.
0: Yeah, and, and so th- this is certainly a, a somewhat different situation, um, and and it's certainly a uh, uh, a much larger step towards all-out war between the United States and you know an, another another country half a world away. So um, I don't really know what's going to happen, uh, and I don't know whether the UN uh, Security Council is going to be able to continue investigating uh, effectively, whether or not Bashar al-Assad actually did gas his own people. I don't know if they'll be able yeah. to continue investigating. You know whether Russia was somehow complicit in that in that fact. Uh,
2: it, in- it it just seems almost impossible in the year 2017 to like uh, trust any of these institutions when you you know it's like it's like it's like remember like the reporting from Aleppo. Or, you know, more importantly, going back, like, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, how, how do you trust any uh, government reports? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think, like, honestly, like, the be- like our best source for what's happening in Syria is probably Piss Pig Granddad, for, um, <laughs> like, yeah, accurate so. info. Send um, money
0: and arms to Piss Pig Granddad.
2: <laughs> I think he's coming back soon. Bless.
0: Yeah, he is coming back. And he was, like, the only force for good in Syria, as far as I was concerned. Him and the Kurds. <laughs> yeah, nothing uh, can nuke it. Fuck and, him. Yeah.
1: And you know, you know him and his uh, his comrades. Of well, course, yeah, he was in
0: obviously. he was in the YPG. Seemed like great guys, and uh, they they weren't affiliated with the uh, the PKK, right? The the Kurdish. Quick, quick, Dutch, Dutch. Yeah, he they, they were, uh, not officially affiliated, but uh, certainly had some uh, some common uh, some common goals. So, um, I. I don't have any, you know, ideas for solutions, and I'm I'm fairly uneducated uh, on uh, on on Syrian politics. Uh, yeah. but, but my position is like, just ask, you know, the PKK what the fuck they want and give it to them. If the PKK says send us a million dollars, then send them a million dollars. If they say send us, you know, fifty Abrams tanks and just fucking give it to them. They know what they're doing, and they're fighting yeah. for they're fighting for good over there. So yeah. I mean, the my, only good fight. Yeah. So my position is just. Ask them what they want and give it to them. Uh,
2: it's it's one of those things where like I, it's hard for me not to just say like you know maybe we shouldn't. Uh, I, I'm generally always against any kind of interventionism, up to and including like arming groups, just because that seems like a really fucking it, it never fucking seems to turn out well uh, at all. Right. Um. So it's it's hard for me to even like be able to to as much as I as I as I agree with the the YPG and I and. How much I love what they're doing in Java, it's still hard for me to be like, oh, fuck yeah, US Special Forces um, and like airstrikes uh, you know, no matter what, I mean, even if they're fighting like fucking evil goddamn like ISIS or Al-Nusra or shit like that I I don't know, I, I, guess, I guess I'm a hypocrite because like, I, I guess I am kind of okay with the status quo of like uh, if the fucking CIA wants to send them some fucking boxes of weapons, I guess I'm okay with looking the other way for that very specific cause but I don't feel good about it
0: well, I, I guess right. I should I guess I should be clear because uh, I, d- I don't think there's an American solution here at all like I, I don't I don't th- even yeah. though my my comment that you know we should just arm the PKK to the gills because uh, you know I, I think that of, of all the bad you know options that America could make that that's probably the best of them but the, the reason I offer that is because even though I think there's no American solution, America's going to try to find one. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> just because I think there's no American solution at all, Trump's going to try to find one. And if it wasn't Trump, yeah. it would have been Clinton. It would have been anybody. Anybody that's going to be present is going to think that there's that. And even Bernie Sanders, to an extent, said he's you know is not an yeah. interventionist. I mean, he was uh, in support of uh, the war in Afghanistan. So uh, yeah. So, I mean, pretty much anybody that's going to be over there is going to assume that there's an American solution because... The you know received wisdom up there is that America is a is a force for good in the international community, and yeah, uh, I don't think that's accurate. But if we're going to make a decision about what to do over there because we think we should make that decision, then arming the PKK seems uh, seems to me the the least bad decision we could make. Yeah,
2: but I, I mean, I love theory crafting and like uh you know whatever. But I mean, we uh, the the real solution is uh, uh that America is going to come up with when push comes to shove, I think is Turkey buys a lot of parts for, uh, you know, their F-16s. They have like 500 of them. They are our NATO ally. Um, We will ultimately, they will ultimately probably just roll through and kill all of them. Um, That's my cynical prediction. And we'll look the other way. We're just using the Kurds right now because they're fighting ISIS. And I don't, I don't see, I don't foresee good things for uh, the socialist project in Rojava. And I hope I'm, very fucking wrong but i'm afraid for the future for them
0: yeah so moving on from uh from from that oh and
2: and before we move on i just want to say to uh to anyone's offended by gulag jokes on a podcast where the logo's (laughs) a hammer and gavel uh sickle i don't know what you expect yeah yeah gavel and sickle i i don't know what you're expecting uh, but go
0: fuck yourself. So gallows. No one's ever heard of gallows humor, gulag humor. Like that. That it just seems like. A, it just seems like a. You know, it's fair game. I mean, this is dark comedy. If you don't like it, don't it come to my show. Obviously, we're not sending people to gulags, and we don't advocate for it. But I mean, for Christ's sake. Except for that guy that complained about it. I advocate sending him to a gulag. <laughs> uh, it's a
2: fucking joke. Yeah. <laughs> anyway.
0: <laughs> so, so, yeah, on. Uh, m- moving on from that, we move to uh, Anton in Syria,, uh, the ghost of Anton in Syria, and uh, the fact that uh, uh, Neil Gorsh has taken taken his place on the Supreme Court. And uh, I heard
1: him uh, th- there's a uh, somebody in the hearings asked him how to pronounce his name. he He pronounced it. it, it, it he he apparently says that his name is pronounced Gorsuch. So Gorsuch.
0: he so he says Gorsuch, right? And Gorsuch.
1: And yeah, like two, two yeah. hard syllables, Gorsuch.
0: Well, right, but I call him Gorsch because he's an idiot. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so well, what's interesting about that, uh, so, so it, it's, it's Gorsuch, right? So I listened to the Federalist podcast because I hate myself, and they call him Gorsuch, like Gorsuch. <laughs> and, and I listened to two fucking episodes in Self-Harmed, but, and they called him Gorsuch in both of those episodes. It was really strange.
2: Um, I, I'm going to go with Gorsh because it sounds like Gorsh and he's a Russian plant. So yeah,
0: exactly, CIA <laughs> Russian psyop. That's all that this is. So, so yeah. So, so Gorsh is on, uh, is 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 going to be on the Supreme Court, taking uh, taking the ghost of Anthony Scalia's seat. And uh, yeah, Mer- it turns Mer- to balance the court. Merrick Garland but, uh, returns to the Gulag, from whence he came yeah yeah, we'll never hear about
1: that guy again. I don't think. No. We, we probably yeah, nobody we'll will ever hear his name again uh, ever again. Well, because but yeah, totally I mean, so so
0: it, It's not looking great for the liberal wing of the court uh, in terms of age. I mean, sotomayor and and Kagan look okay, but uh, you know, everybody else is looking a little rough, even Kennedy to a certain extent. so uh, so yeah,
1: yeah, but Gorsuch came into office um on the heels of the death of the filibuster.
0: And that's the big point here because we're tired of talking about Gorsuch, but the fact that he's been confirmed uh, does does make sort of an interesting point about the way Supreme Court justices are going to be handled in the Senate going forward. So, uh, and we talked about this last episode. I said that it would be incredibly short-sighted of Mitch McConnell to nuke the filibuster because uh, it's going to be difficult to put that back to you know to close up Pandora's box once he does that. Yep. So, at the end of 2000. I- you know, 18 if it, if it, or, or 2020, uh, whenever, if it looks like the Senate is going to shift from Republican control to democratic control, then he's going to have to come to terms with that decision. And so then he's going to have to either make, an, then he's got to make another decision. He's going to have to decide to either try to reintroduce the filibuster just before the Democrats take control of the Senate, or he's just going to have to live with the fact that now Democrats are going to be able to confirm Supreme court justices I- by a simple majority.
2: I, I think I think the filibuster is fucking gone. Um, yeah. I, I have I have three levels to this. The the highest and most woke level uh, that I truly <laughs> believe with is to uh, abolish abolish the fucking Senate. Yeah. Uh, it's an anti democratic institution. Uh, it's completely unrepresentative and is designed to uh, not reflect popular will by design. Yeah. Uh, so not a fan. Uh, and also the filibuster suck too. Um, I don't. Yeah. M- Think you should have need sixty votes to pass something through. Um, as much as that's helped more centrist to left causes, um, it seems in the past. Um, the fact remains that you can't. You can't. I, I would be just as if not more upset if say they were in a pass fucking single payer, or I mean remember uh, uh, the ACA um, back in you know like two thousand nine when they were going over that. You know when when you know liberals or left side had to get sixty votes. It's a it's a fucking nightmare to round that up, you know, when, when you need to do that. Um, and then there's the, there's the cynical side of me that, uh, that's just kind of like, you know, fuck the principle of the thing, just use it if you can, uh, oppose it when it's convenient. But I, I try to avoid having opinions like that. So I, I think overall, um, it's, it's better to take the principled stance and and say, you know, this is going to be bad for now, but, uh, but overall I'm, I'm, I'm glad the filibuster is uh, is probably fucking dead forever.
0: Right, and I think our consensus was sort of that you know none of us none of us here particularly had any affection <clears> for the filibuster, <throat> but we did feel like it was a tool, and we felt like it was a tool that the Democrats needed to use. And so oh, I, they still I, should have done it. Yeah, exactly. No qualms with the, with the Democrats having used the tool that's there. Uh, yeah. And Ooh. and a a fortunate byproduct of using that tool is that it it killed a fundamentally. Undemocratic aspect of the Senate, uh, an undemocratic aspect uh, of our of our legislature. So I'm I'm happy that it's gone. Uh, I'm I'm very happy that it's gone, uh, and we'll you know in, in a few years we'll get to, to look back fondly on you know uh, scraggly ass Strom Thurmond filibustering against you know what was it, school segregation or whatever so school desegregation. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, no, everything Mr. <laughs> Smith goes to Washington. The filibusters always used for noble causes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So I I think the so and and just so I'm clear here, so the filibuster is not dead with respect to legislation. It's only dead with respect to Supreme Court justices.
1: To all 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 federal judicial appointments, yeah. Well, the Democrats Uh, it it had already been killed. Yeah, it had already yeah it had already been killed with respect to uh, lower court uh, appointments, but Mm -hmm. it still remained for uh, Supreme Court appointments, and all they killed was for the Supreme Court appointments. Right.
0: And so, uh, you know, I, I don't know who we're going to end up with next. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, the Hively v. I. V. Tech case here, and uh, the dissenting judge in that case may be a maybe a front runner, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> it, it's going to be it's going to be a lot easier over the next four maybe eight years for Republicans to get the judges that they want, and all we can really do is is uh, is podcast uh, and post exactly. about it exactly, and and then eventually one of us will get confirmed. Title VII is something that we referenced uh, back in our Gavin Grimm episode uh, when we talked predominantly about Title IX, but there was a Title VII component of that case that we didn't address, and here we are now. We get to address it. So uh, at the outset, before we get started, I just want to read what Title VII says. So Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 says: It shall be unlawful employment practice for an employer to discriminate against any individual with respect to his compensation. Terms, conditions, or privileges of employment because of such individuals' race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. And so, in that language, the thing that we're really focusing on here today, and the thing that has been predominantly litigated, uh, has been, uh, at least in the last last 30 years or so, has been sex. Uh, what does that? What does sex mean in the context of Title VII? A number of cases have analyzed it. And uh, this is the most recent case, and this case is important because this particular case has caused what's referred to as a circuit split, and the Supreme Court thinks that their only function these days is to mediate circuit uh, circuit splits, and so now <laughs> now they have one. Now they have a nice little circuit split on what uh, Title VII means uh, for the purposes of uh, of sex discrimination, and so uh, so there was. There was initially. Uh, the uh, ex-
1: well, explain what a uh, explain exactly what you mean by a circuit split.
0: Oh, okay, so yeah, so so we have uh, how many freaking circuits do we have? Do we eleven? Eleven circuits. Sixty nine. Uh, Sixty nine circuits. Four twenty. Uh, four twenty circuits. Uh, all four hundred and twenty circuits. So all four hundred and nineteen circuits believe that uh, sex discrimination uh, excludes sexual orientation discrimination. So uh, all, all, all this, uh, it's an 11th circus, right? For the love of Christ, for the There's
1: thirteen. Uh, there's a thirteen appellate courts.
0: There, oh, because because the, there's also the D.C. Circuit and yeah. Uh, Oh yeah. Well, whatever the
1: twelve heck. regional and uh, twelve regional and the D.C. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So all these fucking circuits have said that sex discrimination doesn't include discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. And then along comes this case in the Seventh Circuit. Initially, it was filed in uh, federal district court, and this is what, what again is referred to as a procedural posture. It was thrown out of district court. It was dismissed uh, with prejudice in the district court. And what that means is when a case is dismissed with prejudice, it means that the petitioner, <coughs> the person who filed the suit, uh, cannot refile. Uh, they cannot refile their suit because uh, prejudice is, is attached, and, and so there won't be able to, no court was going to be able to hear it again. It's a dead cause of controversy. Only remedy, right,
1: go back and like fix the procedural errors and then uh refile it or whatever exactly
0: and and the grounds for dismissal was uh failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted and what that means is is uh you you have a a a list of, of laws a list of you know constitutional rights statutory rights uh and you have to allege a violation uh of of one of those rights constitutional statutory uh in order to get relief from the district court and so uh in this particular case uh, Kimberly, I, uh, Kimberly Hively, uh, who is a, a, a lesbian teacher at, uh, uh, adjunct teacher at Ivy Tech Community College of Indiana, uh, she, uh, Hively is an open, uh, so I'll, I'll read from straight from the opinion here, Hive, Hively is openly lesbian and began teaching part-time as an adjunct professor at Ivy Tech Community College. She applied for at least six full-time positions between 2009 and 2014, but was unsuccessful. Then, in July of 2014, her part-time contract was not renewed. She then filed what's called a pro se, uh, and in this particular court, it's called pro se charge with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Pro se means uh, she filed without an attorney. So she filed-
1: Right, represented she, herself.
0: She filed something to the empl- uh, equal, opportunity, equal Employment Opportunity Commission saying, I have applied for several positions at Ivy Tech full-time in the last five years. I believe I am being blocked from full-time employment without just cause. I believe I am being discriminated against based on my sexual orientation. I believe I have been discriminated against and that my rights under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 were violated. Uh, She also filed suit in district court pro se. Ivy Tech responded with a motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted, arguing that sexual orientation is not a protected class under Title VII. So you get the dismissal, then the case gets appealed up to the Seventh Circuit. Initially, the Seventh Circuit, I believe it's a three-judge panel, uh, hears, hears the case and affirms the district court. They they find that the district court was correct in dismissing the case. Then, on October 11, 2016, an en banc rehearing was granted. And what en banc means is that means that they're going to get a new hearing in the Seventh Circuit in front of the entire Seventh Circuit. So all of the judges in the Seventh Circuit are going to be, be there, hear the case, ask questions of, uh, of the attorneys, read all the briefs and all that stuff. So the panel holding uh, doesn't necessarily have, have any, have any uh, bearing on the, on the en banc rehearing. And uh, so something interesting happens at the en banc uh, rehearing, and this is sort of uh, uh, apropos of nothing perhaps, um, but uh, Judge Posner, uh, who is on the Seventh Circuit, who again is is probably my favorite judge, uh, he asks the attorney for Hively, uh, who uh, John Maley, and I believe he's with uh, Lambda Lambda uh, Lambda Law Lambda Legal. Uh, yeah. and what what they it? do? Damn good work. They do. And uh, so Posner Judge Posner asks uh, uh, attorney Mailey, uh, why do you think there are lesbians? And so this caused sort of a, a, an audible gasp in the, <laughs> in, in the courtroom because it was sort of a blunt way <laughs> to ask this question. Why, why do you think there are lesbians? But there's, there's a reason he asks this, and it becomes clear as you read the opinion. But just for the purpose of this brief colloquy, uh, what, what he says is, why do you think there are lesbians? And uh, after a tiny bit of back and forth, says it's an immutable characteristic. Uh, people are lesbians because that's that's basically how they were born, and so what that does is that sets up uh, Posner's you know belief and sort of the scientific belief that this is sort of um, a, a, an innate, immutable characteristic. It's not a choice. Yeah,
1: I, I, well, I, I think it's I, I think it's important to sort of be careful uh, with, with I, I I think the the phrase immutable characteristic doesn't necessarily mean born with it uh right. you know or born that way yeah but, yeah i agree th- I, I think uh, it's the the legal the legal phrase immutable characteristic has you know it's uh it's doesn't entail only uh, birth conditions
2: th- that's true. it works for uh, it works for law um i think as far as making an argument but yeah if we want to go into like uh you know uh you know uh, gender and sexual theory then there's we could have an entirely different podcast,
0: right? Right. And, <laughs> as far as that and, and all of that's totally fair, uh, but the purpose is that it buttresses uh, what Posner's legal reasoning is. is, yeah, that, yeah, is that's that these right. are is that that uh, homosexuality is a biological construct? Uh, but but anyway, so for the purposes of this colloquy, Posner asks him that question. Mainly responds, it's a mutable characteristic. And Judge Bauer, who sides with uh, with the dissent in this case, his response, his his answer to uh, Judge Posner's question, why do you think there are lesbians, is so it's not just ugly men? <laughs> and, and yeah, that, that's kind of the response that <laughs> I expect from that. Uh, just fucking dead air staring at this fucking Damn. cretinous Archie Bunker shithead. Uh, so so that's, that's something that happens at this, uh, at, at this hearing. Uh, but things, things pick up. Things pick up once the uh, once the opinion is released. Turns out, uh, the majority of the court finds for Hively. They find that uh, that Title VII does include sex discrimination. That uh, that 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 is part and parcel with the word sex as a protected class under Title VII. Judge Posner sort of disagrees with that line of reasoning, but I want to go through I want to go through um, the majority's opinion first. And so, what what the majority opinion says at the outset is it says that that what they are concluding today is that discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation is a form of sex discrimination, and they reverse the district court's judgment dismissing Hively's suit, and they remand it for further proceedings. So, what's going to happen now is it's going to go back to the district court. They're going to have additional proceedings to uh, uh, to make a full record uh, for the circuit court on appeal, if necessary. Uh, now, of course, it, it could get resolved to the district court, uh, and then th- there would be no no live case or controversy. But what's happened by this decision is it's created that circuit split, and so now the Supreme Court, in its infinite wisdom, can step in and uh, and and sort of uh, mediate. Pray for Kennedy so- to make the right decision. Exactly, and so you know, uh, Hively did all this work on her own, and then once she got to the Seventh Circuit, uh, Lambda Legal Defense and Education Fund, they of course stepped in. And uh, and and were able to help out, but the court initially acknowledges that that pretty much every court has has decided that sexual orientation discrimination is not part of sex under the auspices of uh, of of Title of Title VII. And so, going through the the majority's opinion, there are two major cases that they they sort of rest their uh, rest their decision on. One is called Price Waterhouse uh, uh, versus Hopkins, and the other one is. On Cal versus uh, Sundowner or off so, uh, offshore service, services incorporated. Uh, Kevin, did you did you have any experience with these cases in law school? Yeah, yeah,
1: 2020? yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the, the, there's these are seminal cases where the court, you know, I, I mean, this is the thing that I, I really uh, I really love about Posner um, is his just his honesty about this shit. Uh, the court expanded. Uh, expanded the reach of the statute through these cases where it said that, um, and um, I'm thinking of Price Waterhouse uh, uh, specifically, uh, a, a woman sued uh, uh, for discrimination, and it was very brazen and blatant discrimination against her. But it, you know, like it was, her employer was saying you need to act ladylike, and she uh, saying that she's too butch, too masculine, too, too macho, uh, to not conforming to uh, gender stereotypes, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, totally blazon and blatant, uh brazen and blatant uh, discrimination. But uh, the employer, one of the employer's defenses was, yeah, but you know the. Uh, we're not saying that she shouldn't be a woman. We're just saying that she should act like a woman. Right. Um, and so the, you know, uh, the, the statute only prohibits sex discrimination, not gender uh, expression. Expression. Yeah. Um, and so the court uh, finally, you know, it appealed all the way up, and the court said, no, actually, uh, sex discrimination includes gender, uh, gender stereotypes.
0: Right, a failure to conform to sex stereotypes, and so, exactly. so yeah, so, and, and and all that's all that's totally right. So what happens in in Price Waterhouse, or, uh, Price yeah, Price Waterhouse is a uh, uh, it's it's a it's a woman who's an who's an attorney at this law firm, and she wants to be partner, and she's denied partnership because she acts according to the other partners, too damn macho, and so the Supreme Court says that this violates Title VII because the because of sex language in Title VII includes. Failure to conform to sex stereotypes. Uh, other things that the girl was told, besides that uh, she needed to, she acted too macho, was that she needed to uh, take uh, some charm school classes, wear more makeup, dress more feminine, things like that. All of those things were, uh, were things that she. You know, perfectly
1: or, reasonable things <laughs> for an employer to expect of an employee.
0: Well, th- those were all like <laughs> classic gender stereotypes, sex stereotypes uh, specifically, that she didn't conform to. And so what Pricewaterhouse says is that if sex or any other protected characteristic as a motivating factor for any employment practice, even though there, uh, there may have been other motivating factors, the employer is liable for committing the unlawful practice. Congress steps in and allows the company to offer uh, other motivating factors, so those non-sex-based uh, factors, uh, as a means to mitigate down their liability. And the burden is on the employee to show that the employer actually relied on, uh, on gender in making its employment decision. And right. so that's that's Price Waterhouse, and so yeah. So the other case was uh, w- was cal. and and Judge Posner kind of takes on bridge with uh, the majority's usage of On-Cal, uh in his concurrence, but but the majority goes over it in some detail. And so so in ONCAL, what you had was uh, an instance of same-sex sexual harassment. So this was uh, a, a man harassing another man, uh, uh, and and th- things that he was subjected to, he was he was uh, forcibly suggest- uh, subjected to sex-related humiliation. Uh, and even physically ass- assaulted. And so what the Supreme Court said in that case was same sex discrimination is actionable but only because of sex, not sex orientation. And so what would happening was is you had a man in Oncal uh discriminating against another man on the basis much like in Price Waterhouse of his failure to conform uh, to the sex stereotype of of sort of being being a male, being macho, uh, doing whatever he needed. But of course, the facts in OnCal are are are, are grisly by comparison, uh, given the nature of sort of the physical assaults that he that the person had to endure. And so then going through uh, going through uh, Price Waterhouse and OnCal they get to to Loving, and Loving versus Virginia. Is, uh, is 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 very important case, and that was decided in uh, uh, by the by the Warren Court. Uh, Judge Justice Oral Warren wrote the majority opinion, and what Loving does is Loving strikes down anti-miscegenation laws, laws that said uh, black man uh, can't marry a white woman, and vice versa. And so, uh, and, and so, th- and that case is important because that's also a case that the Supreme Court relies on. In its in its decisions regarding um, uh, uh, same sex issues going forward, and so what what the Seventh Circuit decides is th- the question before us is not whether sex orientation discrimination should be added to Title VII, it's whether it's already there. Okay, and it
2: is. I at the risk of getting my ahead of myself, I mean,
0: if if sort of.
2: Uh, I don't know the the way that the progression of of society moves along i mean if you can if you can talk about uh if it's if it's generally understood now by reasonable people that uh people who are transsexual, gender expression, sexual orientation uh you really don't even have to change the law on any of this. you don't have to pass anything else you you can easily interpret sex as covering all those aspects
0: right yeah right yeah, absolutely. And th- and that's my position as well. And it sort of runs in what I think is sort of a even though I like Judge Posner by and large sort of a it runs against him in sort of a pedantic way uh, whether or not it's it's he's updating uh, Title Seven. But but of course we'll get into that. And and so that that discussion uh, sort of like pedantry between uh, Posner's concurrence and the majority's opinion. Uh, the majority writes, and I have to assume this is sort of a slide dig at, at Posner. He says much ink has been spilled about the proper way to go about the task of statutory interpretation, and statutory interpretation, how Title VII is in, is is going to be interpreted, that's the brunt of of everything that Posner talks about in his concurrence and also the dissent. And so uh, the 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 Seventh Circuit, the majority de- the the majority decision. Uh, makes much of the fact that the agency that's most closely associated with this law, in particular Title VII, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in 2015, announced that it now takes the position that Title VII's prohibition against sex discrimination uh, encompasses discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. And so I have to wonder, boys, uh, given what happened in Gavin Grimm's case when uh, the, the relevant agencies dis withdrew the advisory saying that uh, the that schools did had to accom- did have to accommodate uh, transgender students uh, in 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 certain ways. The fact that those agencies withdrew that ad- that advisory, I wonder if the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission under Trump, if they were to withdraw that same uh, 2015 opinion, if uh, if that would have any effect on on decisions in the future from the Seventh Circuit on rehearing. Uh, or uh, the Supreme Court?
1: Yeah, well, I, well, I mean, um, I don't know. That's, that, that's, that's kind of like the...
0: That's the
1: risk so of long any kind of... So long as the yeah. courts have not um, uh, interpreted a statute as uh, necessarily meaning one thing or the other, then the executive has the sort of wiggle room to interpret it and give guidance on, and interpretive guidance one way or the other. And... <clears throat> Seems like they have they have the the room to, you know, say that it's uh, can be rightfully interpreted um, uh, one way and then also reverse course and say it can be rightfully interpreted the other way. But once the courts have said no, it is rightfully interpreted uh, uh, this way, then uh, the then Trump's administration wouldn't have the legal room to withdraw that.
0: Right. And so, you know, we we talked a little bit about the facts in Oncal, the facts in Price Waterhouse, and one thing that we don't get to have a uh, in-depth discussion on here is uh, the facts in Hively. The facts in this case, the facts weren't fleshed out at the district court. So what happens in the Seventh Circuit decision, because they don't have those facts, the Seventh Circuit just presumes facts uh, in the light most favorable to the petitioner. Oh. And well, rules-
1: right, right. That's because this is a summary judgment, Exactly.
0: Right? Yeah, it's it's a dismissal. Dismissal is prejudice, so the Supreme so the 7th Circuit has an obligation to view the facts in the light most favorable to the right. person who, who right. was and prejudiced.
1: Right. Right, because the person came to court and said, "Hey, I have this claim." And the court uh, and then the employer responded by saying even if everything the plaintiff says is true, the law does not protect her. And the court said, "You're right, and threw her case out right And then she appealed it. so the appeals court is saying is do is looking at the record under under those lights of saying, even if every single thing she's alleging is true. so uh, interpreting everything in the light most favorable to the plaintiff, does the law grant her a remedy exactly. right That's what the the that's what a uh, summary judgment determination is is um, is getting at right.
0: So the court says uh, that Hively, that this case represents the ultimate case of failure to conform to the female stereotype, at least as understood in a place such as modern America, which views homo- heterosexuality as the norm and other forms of sexuality as exceptional. And so when I read Price Waterhouse for the first time in law school, that was my position. When 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 my professor tried to explain to us that that somehow sexual orientation wasn't included in that, it blew my goddamn mind. Yeah,
1: it didn't make any fucking sense. It does not make any goddamn sense. If you're going to say that gender stereotypes uh, are included, but sexual orientation is not included, yeah, I mean, here's the argument. Here's the the argument that they make that it's not included. The argument that it's not included is, is, uh, is based on this idea that, uh, on the idea that while gender stereotypes are included, Um, who uh, who you are attracted to or who you do or want to have sex with is not your sex. Mm -hmm. Your sex is a different thing than the sex of the person that you want to have sex with. Um, So that, like, this is the sort of... Very tortured. Exactly. This is the sort of tortured bullshit that originalism... Uh, Gets you into where you like the world around the law develops, and uh, then the then you try to like maintain the original meaning of the text that you're interpreting, and it doesn't fucking make any sense. You get into this these bizarre, twisted, tortured um, uh, conclusions that just that are just totally contra plain meaning and common sense.
0: Right, and and so. uh... And, and yeah, that was that was exactly my my position after reading Price Waterhouse that I, I don't understand how you can square the circle. I mean w- what what could be less conforming with a gender stereotype than than being in 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 America at this time and particularly at the time Price Waterhouse was decided, what could be less conforming to gender stereotype than than being non-heterosexual um, right and, and so it never made any sense to me. but at any rate, so, toward the end of the majority's opinion uh, near the very end, uh, they do what I think is probably the most effective thing that the majority opinion does for the purposes of Supreme Court review. And what they do is they run over all of the, all of the recent cases since 1996 that have addressed the issue of, uh, of, of homosexuality, that this, this at where the Supreme Court has addressed the issue of homosexuality. And there's a theme to every one of these other than homosexuality. So the first case that the Supreme Court references is a case called Romer v. Evans, and in that case, the Supreme Court held that a provision of the Colorado Constitution forbidding any organ of the government in the state from taking action designed to protect homosexual, lesbian, or bisexual persons violated the federal Equal Protection Clause. So, bam, they struck down this Colorado co- uh, this provision of the Colorado Constitution as uh, as as violative of the Equal Protection Clause because it discriminated against uh, people who are homosexual. And so that was decided in 1996, written by a guy named Kennedy, a justice named Kennedy. That's important mm. here. So following uh, following Romer, there was a case called Lawrence v. Texas. This is sort of a famous case. Uh, the court found that the Texas statute criminalizing homosexual intimacy between consenting adults violated the liberty provision of the Due Process Clause. Again, it, that's, that's
2: Lawrence v. Texas, right?
0: Lawrence v. Texas. That case yeah. decided in 2003, written by a guy named. Kennedy then you know what
2: I I remember so sorry to interrupt yeah, you yeah. yeah, but in, in 2003 when that when that decision came out and and I was I think I was 14 years old um that meant a lot to me um because I mean before that growing up like being gay like the fact that that was like a statute in the United States uh was was kind of fucking demoralizing and terrifying um and so, uh, yeah. Thanks, Canadian. I guess
0: <laughs> he he comes through on occasion. Uh, and so, following uh, following Lawrence v. Texas was uh, was another case, another famous one called uh, U.S. v. Windsor, decided in 2013. And uh, and Windsor addressed the constitutionality of the portion of the Defense Against Marriage Jack, (DOMA) that excluded same-sex partner from the definition of spouse in other federal statutes. Uh, And so what they said was that that part of DOMA violated basic due process and equal protection principles applicable to the federal government. U.S. v. Windsor, that was decided in 2013 by a guy named Kennedy. So then finally we get to the case Obergefell. We've talked about it a couple times. Obergefell is the case that, uh, that decided that the right to marry is a fundamental liberty right protected by the due process and equal protection clauses of the 14th Amendment. And what they say, uh, what, was, what was said in, in Obergefell was, it is now clear that the challenge laws burden the liberty of same-sex couples, and it must be further acknowledged that they abridge central precepts of equality. And that line, the majority opinion in that case, written by a guy named Kennedy. And so that's important because old Gorshi boy takes over for the ghost of Antonin Scalia. Obergefell... Yeah,
1: he, he ain't going to rule in favor of uh, reinterpreting the, uh, the Civil Rights Act.
0: He, he's not, and, and, and that's fine because Obergefell was a 5-4 decision with Kennedy swinging yeah. in favor of, of, uh, of, 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 of same-sex, same-sex couples. And so what I think that the Seventh Circuit is doing here, and I, and I probably didn't have a choice, but it's interesting the way that they do it one after the other. I think what they're doing is they're signaling to Kennedy, they're signaling to the Supreme Court... And they're signaling to the rest of the circuits that hey, yeah. following Obergefell, following uh, Windsor, following these decisions, the tide has turned. We're already interpreting the Constitution. We're already interpreting statutes as if it includes sexual orientation, even though the framers had no. They they would have you know hung anyone they saw, you know that that they <coughs> suspected of being homosexual. But we have interpreted the Constitution. We've interpreted statutes to include. Uh, sexual orientation, even though our racist shitbag framers did not include that in uh, in their in their rationale, uh, whenever they created these founding documents, and so, so yeah. this is yeah,
1: pretty direct appeal to Kennedy there for sure.
0: Exactly, uh, and so I, I think that that's going to have a huge effect. Uh, before we get into Posner's opinion, I'll I'll be predictive here. Um, I think the district court probably still rules in favor of Ivy Tech. Uh, I think it comes back up to the Seventh Circuit. I think the Seventh Circuit finds for Hively. Uh, and then we get uh, we get our we get our Supreme Court case. We'll probably get the Supreme Court case before it actually gets uh, gets up to the Seventh Circuit again, uh, only because now there's a circuit split. So the Supreme Court doesn't have to wait for the District Court case to finish, necessarily. The Supreme Court could come in now since there's already a split. Because the cause of controversy right. is that the Seventh Circuit has said that sex orientation is a is part of uh, of Title VII, and so that brings us.
2: Damn, that's, <laughs> that's what all the conservatives were fucking afraid of, wasn't it? It, it so, really yeah. is.
0: And so, and so they're Slippery fucked slope now, guys. They're they're fucked now. Uh, if it, if this goes to the Supreme Court, I don't have any problem, provided everyone that's there now continues to stay alive. I, I feel very confident saying that we'll have another 5-4 decision in favor of, 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 uh, of finding that sex orientation is uh, is part of Title VII. And therefore, sex orientation, whether it's distinct from sex or a part of sex, and I assume it will be a part of sex, is, uh, is going to be a protected class for the purposes of Title VII. So... Uh, so or, or
2: Ginsburg dies, and we get another conservative Supreme Court justice, and they send me to mandatory gay rehabilitation camp.
1: Yeah, like uh, uh, what's it? In, uh... Mike
2: Pence's uh, government gay rehabilitation camp. Oh yeah,
0: your gay, gay conversion, <laughs> your, your shock yeah. shock therapy gay conversion. you to,
1: yeah, exactly. No, no well, literally, uh, no. I'm into that though, so. That yeah. Was... <laughs> yeah, little did they know.
0: And I'm the asshole. That's so like getting a off on it. joke.
1: <laughs> God damn it. <laughs>
0: Mike Pence is fucking shocking people in real life. <laughs> but I make a gulag. No, isn't there a... Uh, uh,
1: East? Um, who, who did it? Isn't there an East uh, European country who's uh, just Chechnya. Uh, created some concentration Chechnya.
2: camps for... Yeah,
0: Chechnya. Chechnya.
1: Well,
2: yeah. actually, they said... Well, they have to create the gay concentration camps, um, but there are no gays in Chechnya. See, both are true.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, br- uh, they, they wow. May, well, and so and the ones that are left are going to just be recruited into their like Chechenian Fight Club that they that they do over there. Uh, mm. th- that's a real thing. You can Google it, Chechenian Fight Club. Uh, that that is an actual thing. So um, so that brings us to uh, to Judge Posner's concurrence. And so uh, I don't know if we've ever said this before, but but concurring opinions don't have. Um, the weight of primary authority that a majority opinion does. This is just additional rationale for arriving at the same result, right? This is just one judge saying, I think that the result is correct, but I got there a different way. Or I got there the same way the majority did, but also this way. And so what what Posner is saying here is that I got there uh, sort of a different way. And so, yeah, uh, and, the, and,
1: the re, and the the purpose behind a concurring behin- opinion is kind of the same as a dissenting opinion. Yeah, it's sort of it's you're 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 putting a perspective or a rationale down on the record for later um, for for later parties to different cases to cite to as saying like here is uh, an opinion or perspective that held sway with at least one or two or three or four, uh, members of the court.
0: Right. And so what, what Posner opens up with is, is, and like we said at the outset that this, this really does come down a lot on, on judicial modes of interpreting existing statutes. And so what, what Posner says is he's, he's, he's identified three modes of interpretation here. He doesn't create any of these. These are just the three modes that he's personally identified. And one, the first mode is, uh, the meaning of the statute, uh, as intended by the legislators based on the plain language of the statute. The second is the unexpressed intent of the legislatures of, of the legislators. And, and he, he uh, illustrates that by way of an analogy that we'll get into And the third and the most important, uh, uh, mode of interpretation for the purposes of this case, he refers to something called judicial interpretive updating. Okay. And we'll, we'll get into what that means, but first, I just kind of want to go through these a little bit more in depth. And so th- that first one, uh, the meaning intended by the legislatures, uh, Posner talks about it, and, and this is one of the great things about Posner is he's, he's, he's got this, this wit, this humor to him. Uh, he says, uh, I, I look at the, the, the meaning of the statute based uh, as intended by the legislators based on the plain language. Knowing English, I can usually determine swiftly and straightforwardly the meaning of a statement, oral or written, made to me in English. Not always because mm-hmm. the statement may be garbled grammatically in, I- intricate or inaccurate, obtuse or complex, or beyond my ability to understand. And so that's a, that's a nice dig at, uh, at our shithead legislators. And so <laughs> the, uh, the, the second mode of interpretation he talks about is uh, the unexpressed intent of the legislators. And what he means here is, so I- imagine, a, uh, imagine a, a, a statute that says no vehicles in the park. And that's all it says. No vehicles in the park. Okay. We understand that although an ambulance is a vehicle, that ordinance or that statute was not intended to include ambulances among the vehicles forbidden to enter that park because obviously they wouldn't have wanted they wouldn't want an ambulance in an emergency situation to abide by this, you know. They're ambulance. gonna arrest the EMT. Exactly. So so that's so that's sort of an unintended intent, or unexpressed rather, unexpressed intent of legislators, that uh, clearly they, they would not have wanted that ordinance to operate to keep emergency vehicles out of the park. And finally, he gets to uh, the one that, we're, that we really analyze here. And what he says that, uh, that this is, what he wants to do is is give fresh meaning to a statement, a meaning that infuses the statement with vitality and significance today. And one of the one of the, the the statutes that he looks at here is the Sherman Antitrust Act. Okay, and the Sherman Antitrust Act was in, was enacted in, in uh, 1890, uh, way before there was uh, what he says is a, a sophisticated understanding of the economics of monopoly and co- and competition. And times have changed. And f- since the act has, has was enacted, the act has been interpreted in conformity to the modern not the 19th century understanding of relevant economics. And so what that does is that makes an old law satisfy modern needs and understandings. Uh, And, and what he says here is statutes and constitutional provisions are frequently interpreted on the basis of present need and present understanding rather than original meaning. And so, so this makes, this makes complete sense to me. Uh, And I, and I, I personally don't think that it's much different than, than what the majority opinion says, but. But he does, but it makes complete sense to me because when I think of the Second Amendment and, and and the right to bear arms, if I'm an originalist, then you get what? a single shot musket, and I would actually be fine with that. But <laughs> I, I would have no problem with that, but the problem is is we have interpreted the right to bear arms to include what fucking semi-automatic well, assault rifles bushmasters yeah no and exactly shit?
1: but posner posner in this opinion uh, he he takes it even further he doesn't even say that people would have individuals would have the right to single shot muskets he says that the second amendment spoke to uh, the right of states to mm-hmm. form militias which over time evolved into what is now the national guard. Right. And that's literally all the second amendment protects. Yeah. Uh, but he, he's, he points out that it is evolved to apply to radically different contexts to now mean that individuals have the right to possess handguns Air or home defense. Right. And for example, in, in DC, where they, they, banned all handguns, um, and the Supreme Court said, no, you're not allowed to do that.
0: Exactly. And so what he calls this, again, is he calls this uh, judicial interpretive updating, okay? And, uh, and, and one of the things that, uh, that, that he uses to uh, sort of illustrate uh, judicial interpretive updating, other than, uh, other than uh, uh, the Sherman Anti-Trucks Act, is, is, is originalism and sort of the, the, uh, the hypocrisy of originalism. But uh, before he gets into that, he talks about uh, sort of the the, the history, uh, or sort of a brief history of uh, of, of legislation, uh, legislators being confronted with homosexuality. And he talks about uh, he says homosexuality, male or female, did not figure in the minds of legislators who enacted Title VII
2: in 1964. It probably did, but sorry, go on.
0: Well, in in, in in certainly in congressional bathrooms, it may have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But,
2: okay, sorry, go on.
0: <laughs> but, uh, but so Bosner so says, H- had I been asked whether, uh, whether I had ever met a male homosexual, I would have answered probably not. Had I been asked whether I had ever met a lesbian, I would have answered only in the pages of In the Search of Lost Time by Marcel Proust. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he says homosexuality was almost invisible in the 1960s and only became visible in the 1980s as a consequence of the AIDS epidemic. And so he, he, it, it's not a matter of, of the fact that, that legislators in 1964 purposefully excluded sexual orientation. It's that it wasn't on their minds. And I think that, that, that there's probably a good deal of sense in that. Uh, and, and so the, then he starts to tear into originalism. And Posner's a huge opponent of originalism, just like the three of us are. Uh, and so Posner says, uh, a diehard originalist <laughs> <laughs> would argue that that what he believed in 1964 defines the scope of the statute for as long as the statutory text remains unchanged. Then he says, think, for example, of, uh, of, of old uh, Antonin Syria, uh, decisive fifth vote to hold that burning the American flag as a political protest is protected by the free speech clause of the First Amendment. Burning a flag, of course, is not speech in the usual sense. And there's no in indication that the framers or ratifiers of the First Amendment thought that the word speech in the amendment embraced flag burning or other nonverbal methods of communicating. And that's that that's like Posner's got coach moment in this in this fucking opinion, because that's absolutely right. Like Scalia is this was this major fucking hypocrite that employed originalism to serve his own ends, his own political uh-huh. ends. And and so it's it's just wonderful that it that it's sort of laid out there without any any fucking reverence for that shitbag, <laughs> but but today sex has a broader uh, has a broader meaning than genitalia you've been born with, and this is Posner's sort of uh, reason for asking that question in the colloquy at the beginning, uh, that scientific literature strongly supports the proposition that it is a biological and innate, not choice like deciding how to dress, the position of a of a woman discriminated against on account of being a lesbian is thus analogous to a woman being discriminated against on account of being a woman. That woman didn't choose to be a woman, the lesbian didn't choose to be a lesbian. I don't see why firing a lesbian, because she is in the subset of women who are lesbian, should be thought of any less form of sex discrimination than firing a woman, because she is a woman. And so, I, I uh, scientifically, I I, I can't I'm not smart enough or or or, uh, or or read enough on this to to make a decision one way or the other. But but this is where I think that I, I'm not sure there's a much gulf between Posner's rationale and the majority decisions rationale. Uh, but uh, maybe someone smarter uh, can explain it to me. Kevin, do you, do you sense any gulf <laughs> <laughs> you Well, any you're barking
1: up the wrong tree if you're looking for somebody smarter. But if but I mean I don't know I I see I. I see the distinction in the, in the, um, degree of honesty. So, so, I mean, I, I, suppose the, the lack of distinction comes from the fact that the majority is being pretty dishonest, but that's, but, but you know, like that's so common in the law though. It's like, nobody's honest about anything. Everybody protect everything's a fucking legal fiction. Like nobody's, uh, straightforward about anything. So I mean, yeah, the uh, the majority is updating law in light of the modern world, but they're they're sort of like, you know, kind of putting their hands over their eyes and saying, oh, oh, but we're pretending like uh, this existed all along and we just discovered it using the this these sort of uh, natural law, the language of natural law that used to be the parlance of uh, the judiciary um, a century ago.
0: Right, and so so Posner continues, and uh, he takes. Uh, this is something that uh, that, that will harken back to, uh, to our, our, our old boy Gorsh in his confirmation hearings. He says, uh, it, it has taken our courts and our society a considerable while to realize that sexual harassment, which has been pervasive in many workplaces, including many Capitol Hill offices, notoriously Fox News, among many other institutions, <laughs> is a form of sex discrimination. And so... Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that's frickin' awesome. But, uh, but so that's something that, that old Gorshi boy would be less inclined to do since he feels like he can't have an opinion on anything that he might you know, end up hearing. Poser doesn't, doesn't feel that way. Uh, subjudice, which means uh, speaking on a matter under judicial consideration. And I guess the Fox Newt's News suits are sort of impending uh, so that would qualify under uh, under a judicial matter impending, in which you know he could potentially yeah. hear. But the the concept of sub judice is much broader than than the justices appearing in confirmation hearings would have you believe. Uh, and 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 of course, just to reiterate that that's something that started with Ruth Bader Ginsburg confirmation hearing, the idea that yeah. they're not allowed to have an opinion. So that's one of the reasons why I really like Judge Posner, even when I disagree with him, is the fact that. Uh, that he's willing to be, uh, to blunt and and honest about uh about his positions. There's you get these, a
2: sense of where he's coming from instead of yeah the the fiction that this is a a fucking command from from an old testament god or some bullshit. Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly.
0: Well, and there's and, and Scalia did that too, right? Scalia was always honest with that, about how he felt. He was honest about you know. Sc- uh, sc- I don't know
1: about always.
0: Well, he was yeah. honest about how he felt. I mean, he'd tell you that oh, skull shaped yeah. corresponded with IQ. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah, I mean he he, be, true. he believed that. But what the the good thing about Posner versus Scalia and in, in their honesty is that there's intellectual consistency. There's intellectual honesty in in what Posner says. By and also
2: that people. I agree with them is also
0: well, well we agree with them. We're <laughs> yeah. fucking right. I mean, we're right, and we're not racist shitbags, so we agree with them. We're not sexist shitbags, so we agree with them. Uh, so, I, so anyway, uh, uh, sort of tangential, but I, I, really appreciate, uh, the intellectual consistency of a guy like Posner versus, you know, shitheads like Gorsh and Scalia. Um, yeah. and so, uh, so he says that, uh, discrimination based on a woman's failure to fulfill stereotypical gender roles is also a form of sex discrimination. And again, that goes back to what I think is a lack of gulf between the majority and concurring opinions. Uh, and I, I, it seems, I, I based you know, reading Posner's appear, uh, 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 concurrence, it seems he does think that there is uh, that there is a little little bit more gap there, and then he he follows it up with uh, what I thought was a good line. Lesbianism denotes a form of sexual or romantic attraction. It is not a physical sex identifier like masculinity or femininity. A broader understanding of the word sex in Title VII than the original understanding is thus required in order to be able to classify the discrimination of which Hively complains as a form of sex discrimination. The broader understanding is essential. And, and that, of course, is where he identifies this gap between his decision and the majority's rationale. And so, uh, and, and, and again, uh, he doesn't base this decision on, on, on Cal. Uh, because he thinks that that basing it on Cal doesn't answer the uh, the essential issue to him, so he says we're, we're we're back to the issue in this case, which is whether passage of time and concomitant change in attitudes towards homosexuality and other unconventional forms of sexual orientation can justify a fresh interpretation of the phrase discrimination because of sex in Title VII, which fortunately, however, is half a century old and ripe for reinterpretation. And so uh, yes no yeah no, it, yeah, no that's
2: a, it's a completely consistent argument yeah no he, he that's completely laid out and it, yeah
0: and 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 so that that's by and large that's that's Posner's that's Posner's concurrence I thought it was 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 really well written uh, very happy with with the way he arrived at his decision uh, I don't have a lot of qualms with the way the majority uh, reached their decision either um, ultimately my concern is 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 results oriented and less rationale oriented so whichever whichever mechanism right. Yeah, whichever mechanism allows for people's lives to be fucking better is the mechanism that that I'm I'm happy we arrive at. And yeah, so, absolutely. And and so that brings us to uh, to the close of the uh, of the uh, the the opinion issued by the court, and that takes us to the the dissenting opinion from Judge Sykes. And Judge Sykes doesn't like these fucking opinions very shit. much. Uh, and of course Judge Bauer, who wanted to know if lesbianism was caused by ugly men uh, joined in, uh, in judge Sykes. <laughs> uh that sounds like a joke. And I guess he meant it to be a joke, but not in the fucking way it is. And so, uh, so what judge Sykes says is, uh, neither is faithful the, the concurrence or the majority opinion to the statutory text read fairly as a reasonable person, reasonable person would have understood at the time it was adopted. So here we are back to originalism. The result of the concurrence and the majority opinion is a statutory amendment, uh, courtesy of unelected judges. Fuck off. Fuck off with that noise. And Inactive so, <laughs> judges. Yeah. And so, what 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 Judge Sykes says is, our role is to give effect to the enacted text, interpreting the statutory language as a reasonable person would have understood it at the time it was enacted. But fucking tell me where it says that in the Constitution. Where does right it, where does it say that's the role of the court to only interpret things at the top, uh, uh, under the meaning it had at the time it was enacted it doesn't say that anywhere and i fucking dug. i dug so i i couldn't find it in the constitution obviously so i went to the only source i could find in our founding documents where this might this idea could have come from and i I hamilton I, it does. Barbary versus it Madison. Com- no, it com- it comes from fucking Hamilton.
2: Oh, I was making a joke. No, I know. God damn it. It
0: should be a joke. But uh, <laughs> but, but he, he's... So it, it comes from Federalist 78, okay? Uh, and so Federal And, and it, and it it's also speaks at cross purposes. So Federalist 78, what it says is... It says that it can be of no weight as a matter of repugnance to a given law that the judiciary may substitute their own desires... For the intentions of the legislature. But the courts owe allegiance to the dominant and superior authority. And so, what that means is, is that where a later statute runs uh, in contravention to the Constitution, then, then the, the court is supposed to honor uh, the, uh, the, 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 the Constitution. It's supposed to honor the dominant and superior authority, which is the Constitution. But before they say the Federalist 78 says that, Hamilton wrote Federalist 78, uh, he writes, the intention of the people in law should be preferred to the intention of their agents, the legislators. The legislators. So, I I, I think that that's attempting. I, I think that those two those two uh, uh, quotes there kind of run at cross purposes. So, I mean, yeah. If, if the idea is that the, the 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 courts aren't supposed to substitute their own desires for the tension intentions of the legislature, fine. That's not what the court's doing here. The court is not substituting its own intentions for uh, for the intentions of the legislatures. The court is reading the culture. The court is reading the will of the people and substituting the people's desire for its racist, shitbag, homophobic legislature's desires. And so... Right,
1: yeah, I mean, it, like this inane, fucking irrational uh, appeal to the will of the people who wrote the law is the thing that is ignoring, uh, uh ignoring the will of the people, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the thing that's saying, I am a judge and I get to decide what this law says and gay people gross me out. So I'm going to read it in this super fucking strict way, narrow way that, uh, doesn't give room for, uh, evolving cultural norms.
0: Right. And so, uh, and so, th- this entire dissenting opinion is it rests on, you know, originalism and textualism, the the plain language of the text as it was written when it was written. And so, there's there's not really much sense in 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 digging into it uh, because it's it's exactly what you might expect. So, uh, Same old. Yeah. And so, so what happens now? Like we said at the beginning, uh, this case is going to go back down to the district court, but of course, the issue is ripe for the Supreme Court now. And, uh, and they could certainly take it. And this, yeah. could, this could, you know. Burn. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Who, whatever, whoever wins the district court, it's going to, the other side's going to appeal uh, to the seven, uh, Seventh Circuit, Seventh Circuit's going to rule the same way. And the Supreme Court will um, will then hear it. But, or like you, you mentioned earlier, they could uh, hear an appeal on one of the other.
0: Well, and so what I'm hoping is that the Supreme Court will take the case prior to resolution in the district court. And the reason is because if the Supreme Court takes the the case, on the Seventh Circuit, based on its statutory interpretation of Title VII, right? If they take that case and they determine, and the Supreme Court determines that sexual orientation discrimination is a is part and parcel with Title VII, then right. that that guides the district court because the, it, right. even though the case is kicked down to the district court and the district court has to follow the precedent of its of its circuit, which is the Seventh Circuit, they're, they're still clearly not not at ease with the idea that. Uh, that that sexual orientation discrimination is part of Title VII, based on you know the entire body of, of federal law up to this point. So hopefully the Supreme Court will take it and will uh, will make a decision that helps guide the district court to a uh, to an equitable resolution. And hopefully they take it before anybody else fucking dies, because yeah. I'll- <laughs> and
2: hopefully Ginsburg is taking like taking her nootropic stack and like the yeah. Jones vitality formula.
0: Kennedy's reading <laughs> uh, K- Kennedy's reading the gorilla mindset. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it, it's fine. So I think everybody's gonna be okay.
1: What what a fucking democracy we live in. We're all just sitting around crossing our fingers and hoping that uh, uh, geriatric rate. won't die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: well, and and that's what I meant in our in an earlier episode when I said that the Supreme Court justices are the closest thing we have to kings in this uh, to kings and queens in this country. Like, yeah. like, like, we're hoping that this, that these, fucking octogenarians on this court keep breathing for another year, so they can hear this case. So, so
2: not ruin millions of people's people's lives. <laughs> exactly. <and shit. laughs> the the idea
0: that millions of people's lives can be fundamentally and irrevocably altered as a result of whether or not one justice lives or dies is fucking absurd and thoroughly undemocratic. And so it's a it's a problem, but it's a problem that we can't really address. Uh, the Constitution certainly doesn't give us uh, much of a way to redress it, and that's so long
1: as this Constitution stands. Yeah, yeah, as as
2: long as we're on the first republic, uh, that's where we're
0: <laughs> at. Yeah, well, we're inching closer to the second republic as uh, as we become uh, mole people following the uh, the Russian nuclear holocaust to come. Uh, so so yeah so that's uh that's the episode for this week boys uh hope everybody enjoyed it uh, uh thanks to kevin and hunter for sticking around with me please rate review and re- subscribe on itunes that shit helps so much uh we want to give a uh, mega shout out to uh the first mondays crew and uh ian samuel who retweeted us and got us a whole shitload of uh, yeah NX that was exciting <laughs> that was awesome uh yeah, that, that's a that's a good dude uh, so yeah so do more of that if you hear the show and you like it freaking retweet us share us on Facebook you know show us to your parents uh, take us to the gulag with you <laughs> your show, mom, us, yeah.
2: show us to people that you hate so that they get mad at it and and complain about it and create a controversy so that we get even more retweets <laughs> uh, yeah
0: now uh, we're, we're, we haven't we haven't made it until we get a subreddit where everyone just calls us a psyop uh, and so hopefully that's coming well I'm about three Benadryl deep and falling asleep on the mic so I will check you dudes later All right.
2: All right. Bye. Bye. see you man Bye.